Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Well, my Bible is open to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. I invite your attention there with me. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25 is our text this morning. I'm praying that this year will be a year of growth for First Baptist Keller, deep spiritual growth. That is that every member will make discernible progress in their personal sanctification. And if we all do that, I can guarantee you we'll make progress in our corporate sanctification. And that's what uh, the message is all about today. The year of growth, utilizing the means of grace. It is right and appropriate, good, and most importantly, biblical for us to have an ambition to grow spiritually. I know that because what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, just listen as you hold your place in Hebrews. Peter wrote in verse 17, you therefore beloved, he's speaking to Christians, knowing this beforehand, be on your guards that you're not carried away by error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But that is instead grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now the context of that is Peter is talking about the end of days. He says there's coming a day and that right soon in which the world's going to be burned up with fervent heat. And he's answering the question, how should we live in response to that truth? And that's a question that I hold in tension every day when I come to work here on the third floor. On one hand, I am a firm believer that the Lord Jesus is coming back soon, aren't you? All the signs I see, I I believe He's coming soon. And on the other hand, I go to business meetings and committee meetings and we're buying land and thinking about building buildings. I think, why would we be buying land, building buildings if we believe the Lord Jesus is coming back soon? Well, that's because we don't know, do we? Jesus says we don't know the hour or the day. That's for the Heavenly Father to know. So we're to be about our Father's business until that day. I can promise you, if we build a building and the Lord comes back the next day, we won't regret it. We'll just be glad we're with the Lord, right? So as we make plans for the future, hold those two things in tension. The Lord's coming soon, but that doesn't mean we sit on our hands and do nothing. In fact, Peter seems to indicate because the Lord is coming soon, we ought to work harder than ever. So let's talk about how to utilize the means of grace for Christian growth. Let me remind you that growth is a church and a Christian duty. Our church has a document called the covenant in which are listed 10 duties we have as members of the same body. And so far this, this summer, we've studied four of them. We started with the duty to love one another with that agape kind of self-sacrificing love. And really all the other nine duties fall under that, under the umbrella of loving. If we love each other, here's how that plays itself out. One of the ways it plays itself out is through stewardship, how we Steward our time, talent, and treasure for the benefit of others, knowing that the Lord's coming soon. Brother Tony taught us how we serve one another with our spiritual gifts, knowing that the Lord's coming soon. And then last week we looked at why we should fellowship, that why we should devote ourselves to the same things the first century church did, to the apostles' teaching and to prayer and to the Lord's Supper and to hospitality from home to home. And so today... Before we return to our verse-by-verse study of Romans next week, I want us to look at the duty we have to grow as believers. Now, this is not a deep doctrinal sermon. 
Romans 9 is coming next week, though, let me warn you. It is. Today is not. Today is very practical. The title of the message, A Year of Growth, Utilizing the Means of Grace. Let's read our text. Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now, some folks call this chapter the salad chapter of the Bible because of all the lettuces we find here. You probably picked up on at least three of them as I was reading. He said, let us draw near with a sincere heart. Let us hold fast our confession of faith and let us consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds. This is a call to action by the author of the book of Hebrews to the Christians to whom he is writing. Now, I want to use these verses today to call First Baptist Keller to pursue spiritual growth and progress in the year ahead. Now, I want to remind you that all of us are called to participate in our own sanctification. Now, back where we left off in Romans 8 during the spring, we remember we studied that golden chain of redemption where Paul says those he foreknew, that is those he set his saving love upon before they were born, he predestined and those he predestined, he called with the effectual calling. Those he called, he justified. He declared us in time and space, not guilty, forgiven. And those he justified, he will glorify eventually in heaven. But in between justification and glorification, there's life to live. And in theological terms, we call that progressive sanctification, where we are growing in maturity and into the image of Jesus over time. Now, we don't have a part in our justification. That's all of God. Salvation is by grace alone, right? But our sanctification, we are called to participate in. That is, God just doesn't pour the Bible into our head through our ear hole. He doesn't just let us bathe in prayer and it just grows us up spiritually. We have to participate. And so that participation is called the means of grace. That's what the Puritans called it. Most evangelicals these days call it church and Christian disciplines, but either way, it means we participate in our sanctification. Any progress we make, though, as we look back upon it, we have to give the glory to God. It's all because of His grace and mercy. Whatever good He accomplishes in us and through us, we give Him the glory. SDG is our motto here, all for the glory of God. But let me reiterate, spiritual progress does not and will not happen accidentally. God has appointed and anointed and ordained certain activities that the Puritans called the means of grace. Generically, anything that God uses, any activity that we do that grows us is a means of grace. Some of you like to listen to Christian music through the week, and that helps you to focus on the Word and the Scripture, and that's wonderful means of, of grace. I, I find hiking in the beautiful national parks of this country is a means of grace for me and of communing with the Lord. Looking up into the starry sky when I'm out in an open area away from the city, 
But those things are, are not what the scripture says are the primary means of grace. If we look consistently across the scriptures, Old and New Testament, the primary means of grace or the primary Christian disciplines that lead to maturity are three. And they are prayer, scripture, and fellowship. And those are the three simple means of grace that I want us to focus on today. If all of us will do these three, I promise you we'll make progress in the year ahead. And in our church covenant, we call these the spiritual disciplines. Listen to what our church covenant says about spiritual disciplines. It says, we abide in Christ by living in faith and spending time each day studying, obeying, and applying God's word while devoting ourselves to prayer. And so let's start with prayer. That's our first point today. Look at verse 19. Therefore, brethren, that means as a result of something, if you know the book of Hebrews, you know that he's making the argument that Christ is superior to the old covenant. He's writing to Jewish people who have come out of Judaism into Christianity, and he's making the case for them not to go back to Judaism, but to continue in the faith because there's no need for a continual sacrifice because Christ is a better sacrifice. He's a better high priest, and he's the once for all sacrifice. So as a result of that, he says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So as we think about prayer, I don't think I'm breaking any new ground when I say we ought to pray more. But the question is why? Why is prayer important? Well, for three reasons at least. Number one, because it's commanded by God. Scripture says pray without ceasing. And then there are specific sorts and kinds of prayer that are prescribed in the Bible. We were studying Wednesday night on how God inaugurated human government and how he instructs us in the book of Romans and the book of Titus and other places that we are to pray for government officials and all those in authority. Pray for their salvation first and foremost. Pray for their protection. Pray that we can live quiet and humble lives. So we are commanded to pray all sorts of prayers. Secondly, it's important because it's how God has chosen in his sovereignty to work. I can't explain the mechanics of prayer any more than you can. I do know that the book of James says that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It's not pointless. It's not vain. It's how God has chosen to work. And thirdly, we pray because it is a great and high privilege purchased with a very high price. See, the scripture teaches that left our own devices, we are all separated from a holy God. I've been studying in the Pentateuch lately, and particularly the book of Exodus and Leviticus, where God prescribed through Moses how he was to be worshipped by his chosen people. And it's incredible in its detail how all of the articles that were meant for worship were to be built and the specifications of the tabernacle and um, all of the grounds and, 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 and how the priest had to clean themselves before they could come into the presence of the Lord. And all the sacrifices that were prescribed day by day, week by week, and year by year, festival by festival. And it was all to show that God is holy. He's different. He's distinct from us. And for us to be in his presence for a moment, let alone eternity, we have to have something done about our sin problem. And in the old covenant, it was through those sacrifice of animals day by day because people sinned day by day. 
They had to be kept up all the time. But when Jesus came on the scene, he was the perfect sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says the once for all sacrifice never has to be repeated again. And to drive that point home, as Jesus died on the cross, some things happened. The world turned dark. But another thing that happened is that thick four-inch veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the rest of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. And it showed that never again would man have to make these sacrifices, that Jesus had done everything that was necessary for a sinful person to come into the presence of the Lord and have fellowship and communion with Him. And that's what I mean when I say we shouldn't take prayer lightly because the privilege of doing so was purchased through a high price, and that price, of course, is none other than the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, according to verse 17. Not only is he our sacrifice, he's also our great high priest who is always interceding for us. The scripture says, seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't have to have a priest. We don't have to go into a little booth and tell a priest our sins. We can go directly to the Lord. He invites us to do that. In fact, he tells us the attitude we should have as we come before him. He says, with confidence. Now, we have to be careful there because there is a fine line between confidence and arrogance, right? We don't come before the Lord and say, here I am, take me or leave me. We, say, we come before the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that you invite me into your presence based on my relationship with your son. And because I am in your son, I know that I don't have to fear according to the book of Romans, that there's no condemnation. You're not going to strike me dead if I stumble or, or say something wrong. That's what those priests lived in fear of all the time. If they got something wrong, I think about the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, who offered strange fire to the Lord, and he killed them on the spot. But we don't have to worry or fear that. He invites us to come with confidence because we are clean through his blood. He says, with sincerity of heart, not wavering, not duplicitous, as James says, not two-minded, with confidence, knowing that he can and will hear our prayers. And we do so with assurance, he says. We are assured based on our trust in Christ. Assurance is faith, and faith is believing the precious promises of God. So the invitation to pray has been issued. And as I said, we know we ought to pray. And we're going to talk about how to pray here in just a moment. Now let's look secondly at the second discipline or means of grace prescribed here in Hebrews 10, and that is the scripture. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now the word hold fast means to persevere. It means not to let go, in other words. If you've ever watched a bald eagle swoop down over a lake or a stream and grab a trout, and then with great effort, make his way back up into the next treetop. You know what it means to hold fast. He digs those talents into the trout and nothing can separate. In fact, I am told that sometimes an eagle gets a fish so large that he can't fly anymore, but he will drown before he'll let it go. He holds it fast. And we know, theologically speaking that if we are to make it to heaven, it's because the Lord holds us fast, right? We sing a hymn here called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And from God's perspective, we call that the preservation of the saints. He will not let us go. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. But also, we're called to hold Him fast, right? All the while knowing He gets the glory. So in great measure, the theme of the entire book of Hebrews is perseverance. Abiding in Christ. 
the writer is addressing a group of Jewish converts who are receiving pressure, as I said, to return to the old ways. So where are they to get their strength to persevere in the faith? Well, it must be by feeding upon the Word of God. The Word of God calls itself our spiritual nourishment, our milk and our meat. In fact, hearing the Word of God is the means that God brings about our salvation to begin with, isn't it? Romans chapter 10, verse 17, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. And so how do we hear the word of God? Well, one, we commit ourselves to corporate worship where the word of God is preached week by week. Thus says the Lord. I think that's the primary means of grace that God uses to grow us is through preaching. And then there is other sorts of Bible teaching, your Sunday school class or Bible studies or even on the radio and television if you can find good preachers, be discerning. And then there's just uh, reading the Bible. And I encourage you to read it out loud if you can find a private place. And our, our friend, Brother Justin Peter, says, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible out loud. Hear the Word of God. Meditate upon it. Read your Bible. It's the source of daily nourishment and strength. Listen to 1 Peter 2.2. 2. And like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect of salvation. Now, in our article on the disciplines, we call for every member to read their Bible daily. And Brother Tony and I were talking about that uh, in the last day or two, about well, we don't want to be legalistic, right? Can we point to a verse in the Bible that says you must read your Bible every day? And, and we couldn't. But the principle is there. If you have ever had a newborn baby in your home, how often do they eat? At least daily, right? In fact, if, if a newborn baby goes even a few hours without eating, something's wrong. And so if we are to consume the word with the same hunger that a newborn baby desires his mother's milk, at least daily. I don't think we're being realist, uh, legalistic when I say you know, read your Bible daily. So um, we're holding to that. We're calling all of us to read our Bible daily in the year ahead. And then not just reading it. There's a memorization of Scripture. And this, I grant you, is a difficult thing that the older we get, but you can do it. Jack Gatewood used to teach a class on Scripture memory. And here's the way he'd always advertise it. He says, do you know your street address? Do you know your telephone number? And people say, well, yes. You can memorize the Bible. And that's true. We can memorize. Psalm 119.11, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against the Lord. If the scripture is our meat and our milk to make us strong so that we can persevere in our confession, then scripture memory builds our spiritual immunity so that we can resist temptation and the devil. And then I'd add one more to that. It's not even in my notes. That's meditation. Just absorbing the word of God and picking a part in your brain and just soaking in it throughout the day. I think of David in the very first psalm, and he talked about meditating on the Word day and night. And that was the source of his strength. That's why his roots ran deep and why his tree prospered. And uh, He said the wicked are not so, right? They don't trust the Lord. So, so the most important thing that you can do if you want to fulfill this command to hold fast to your confession is to hold fast to the Word of God. Now, there, there's a third one. Third means of grace that we want to mention, and that is fellowship, verse 24. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, 
but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now we spent an entire message last Sunday on the obligation of Christian fellowship, so I'm not going to tarry here long. I just, I just want to add a couple of thoughts before I try to make some application today. Um, we should be thoughtful and careful as to how to help one another make progress in sanctification. We owe that to one another. It shouldn't be done flippantly or thoughtlessly or even accidentally. And, and that's what we do as a staff. Every Monday morning at 9 o'clock, we get together around a table and, and we pray through the week ahead, but then we review the past week and we say, walking ministry to ministry, how are we doing? Is this being effective? Is the Lord using this? How can, how can we do it better? And then two or three times a year, we'll get away on a retreat and we'll spend some really intense time together analyzing and examining all of our ministry. And, and so as you look at your bulletin, I know it can be sort of overwhelming to see all the activities that are going on in the church. And believe me, it's not the expectation of anyone here that you're involved in every Bible study. That would be impossible. But I would say pick out two or three that you can really commit your life to besides um, corporate worship, right? And, and I know we all have limited time, and again, we don't want to be legalistic, but we do need to be thoughtful about how to stimulate one another to growth. And so as we think about our church, there are six guiding principles that we have settled on. The first one is SDG, Soli Dea Gloria, everything to the glory of God. But then others are stewardship, the recognition that we'll all give an account to God to one day for our time, talent, and treasure. There's commitments to church planning and missions and, and evangelism and excellence in ministry. All of those things are brought to bear when we consider how to stimulate one another to good deeds. And the primary we do that, I'll just review our, our plan here. One is corporate worship. 8.30 and 11 o'clock every Sunday morning, we gather to sing together, to gather around God's word and be taught. And then there's Sunday school in between at 9.45. I encourage every one of you, if you haven't, get involved in a Sunday school class. That's where you're going to meet people and get to know people and share your lives with people. And you're going to grow in the word. And then on Wednesday nights, we have curriculum for children. We teach them the hymns in the first hour. In the second hour, they learn about missionaries and missions and RAs and GAs. And there's adult discipleship class at 7 o'clock. I teach a Bible study at 6 o'clock in this room. And we're finishing up the book of Titus. And a week from Wednesday, we're going to start on a, on a series on the attributes of God. And if you're not participating on Wednesday night, I can encourage you to. We have a meal that starts at 5 o'clock. We talked about hospitality and eating meals together last week. It's a great way to get to know people who aren't in your Sunday school class or maybe in a different age bracket or, and just sit around and share life together. And, and these are things that we can do to participate in our own corporate sanctification. We have that responsibility. But you cannot do that, as I said last week, in isolation. You cut yourself off from the world and you separate yourself from the body and you come in and you hide away and you slip away without knowing or being known. You won't get the full benefit of this and we won't get the benefit of your presence. Now, I say to our new members orientation class every month that this isn't the largest church in Dallas, not by a long shot, but it is long enough, large enough that if you want to be anonymous, you can be. You can slip in and slip out, never speak to anybody, never get involved in any small groups or, or Sunday school. 
But I pledge this to you. I'm going to make it as hard as possible for you to do that. Not just me, but our staff and our, our leadership here, we're going to wear you out with asking you to be a part of us. And we don't do that, again, to make you feel bad because we know how important it is that every member is functioning the way the Lord intends. So why is it so important to utilize God's ordained means of grace? Well, for the same reason that the Apostle Peter wrote about, as I read in my introduction, because time is short. He says the day is drawing near, indicating there's no time to waste. Now, what day is he talking about there? He's a little bit vague there, but he certainly he must be talking about that day when the world melts with fervent heat. He's talking about judgment day when the Lord makes all things new. But I think it also includes the day of our death is approaching. We don't know when the Lord is coming. I pray it would be in this church year. But if it's not, it's very likely that some in this room won't see next year. Maybe me. The day of all of our death is one year closer than it was this time last year. So what should we do? Give away our possessions and go sit on a hill cross-legged and hum? That's what some false teachers have prescribed in the past. Well, Peter and the writer of Hebrews seem to have the exact opposite feeling. They say, since the Lord's coming is near, let's work harder than ever. Let's be found ready when the Lord returns. And this, if this year, 2022-23, if this church year is to be that year of growth we're all praying for, both individually and corporately, we must, and I emphasize the word we there, all of us, because we live in such an individualistic world, don't we? We're all in our own little world of cyberspace and our family, and, and, and there's just with great difficulty that we share our lives with one another. But the church is to be the exception to that rule, even in this modern culture. It, we collectively must devote ourselves to these three basic and primary and what some call the ordinary means of grace. Number one, prayer. Start somewhere. You say, Pastor, I just, I just don't pray. I don't know where to start. Start somewhere. Daniel, in the Old Testament, prayed three times a day. He went up to the upper room, opened his windows towards Jerusalem, and poured his heart out to God, morning, noon, and night. And I try to make that a habit in, in my own life, not the flinging open of the windows. My windows don't open upstairs, but, um, but start my morning with prayer and times of prayer with the staff throughout the day and then in the evening with my family. I'm not perfect at it. That's my ambition. Here, here's some helpful hints. If you want to start praying, if you've not been a person of prayer, have a set time. Make an appointment with the Lord. Now you, you say, that's not very Christian. But if you love someone and you set an appointment with them, you think, well, that's not very romantic. I can promise you. If I would say to my wife today, honey, Friday night at 7 o'clock, put on your nice dress. We're going out to eat. She would not be offended by that. <laughs> that I put it on the calendar, right? That I cared enough about spending time with her that I set aside the other things of life. And when we say, Lord... With your help, starting tomorrow, at this time every day, I'm going to spend some time with you. Now, be realistic. Don't say, I'm going to read the Bible through 50 times this year and pray 12 hours a day. Start somewhere. Start with five minutes. If 
you haven't been praying at all, and allow the Lord to grow you in the area of prayer. Pray with an open Bible. If you don't know what to say, read the Psalms to the Lord, and then let Him bring to your mind the application to that that you can pray over about your family and your particular circumstances. Pray according to the Scriptures. Pray with a pen in hand and something to write with as the Lord impresses your mind and heart with the Scriptures. He'll bring to mind people that need you to pray for them. Write their name down. So I'm asking you right here. You ready? Will you commit today that starting in the morning, you're going to pray every day for your church family in the year ahead? We have prayer meetings here at our church. The primary one is 6 o'clock Wednesday. I know not everybody can get off work in time, but we have prayer meetings through the week. You can start a prayer meeting. We've had some people start cottage prayer meetings in the last year at their home where they'll just bring a few families in and they pray. Men's and ladies Bible study. If you need to get involved somewhere, call the church office. We'll help you find one. So the second one, though, is Scripture. Now, I know the Bible can be daunting if you're not an avid reader, especially if you've never read it through. I'm preaching from this Bible today. That's a whopper. That probably weighs... Three or four pounds. If I drop it on the table, it makes a thud. If I dropped it on my toe, it'd break my foot. Now, I brought this Bible intentionally. This was a gift from a mentor of mine. This is the Bible I read from every morning when I get to work. And it has a lot of study notes in it. That's why it's so large. But the point is, if you haven't read a book in three years and I say, go read this book, it would overwhelm you. But what if I said this book is comprised of 1,189 chapters? most of which can be read between three and five minutes. And if you were to read three chapters a day, Monday through Saturday, and then five on Sunday, you could read the whole thing in one year. Would that be more, more like it? Or if I said if you would read three chapters of this book from the Old Testament every morning and three chapters from this book in the evening, you could read through the Old Testament once in a year and the New Testament four times. And there's other methods and means. You can find them on the internet. We have Bible reading plans throughout. The point is read the Word. Memorize the Word. Meditate on the Word. Make a commitment today. We know it's what we ought to do. We know it's good for our spiritual health. We know it would aid in our sanctification. But like with prayer, it will not happen unless you make an appointment to do it. You've got to make an appointment with the Lord to stay in this Word. And then there's fellowship. Now, some, for some of you, that begins with baptism. There are some in our congregation here today who made professions of faith, but you've never followed in believers' baptisms. You need to do that. Not because Brother Keith said, but because the Lord Jesus said. Because it's a way that we show obedience to Him, as these four have done this morning. The baptismal waters don't save you. It's a confession that you are saved. But it's an entrance way into church fellowship, which leads to the, the blessing of the Lord's table and the Lord's supper and communing together as part of the same body. And then some of you need to get involved in a Sunday school class or recommit yourself to your class that maybe you've let go aside. We need you. That's where you're going to do life together. You can't know everybody in this room or in the other service. You can know the people in your Sunday school class. And then there is this time, this corporate worship hour. Here's the commitment I'm asking you to make, and this is a big one. Will you commit in the year ahead that you will be here in corporate worship every Sunday 
unless you are providentially hindered. Now, what does it mean to be providentially hindered? It means that there is some true emergency. Either you're sick or a family member or you're away on business and travel and you can't be there. It's impossible for you to be there. I heard a pastor was asked uh, some time back, when do you decide if you're going to church on Sunday? Meaning what day of the week? When do you start thinking about it? He said, I decided 40 years ago that unless I'm providentially hindered, we're going to be in the house of the Lord on Sunday with the Lord's people. Now again, none of these things are going to get you to heaven. But if you will commit to these three simple things, prayer, scripture, and fellowshipping with other people in a consistent way, I promise you in a year from now, you will have grown spiritually, and this church body will have grown spiritually, all for the Lord's glory. Amen? Let's ask the Lord to help us do it. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. And Father, I know discipline and it's an ugly word for a lot of us because it means pain, it means sacrifice, and it does. As I read again from Don Whitney's book this year on church discipline, if we knew the freedom that it brought, we'd be more excited about it. Just like a child starting to learn the piano whose fingers fumble over the keys. If we could transport them by time machine 15 years down the road to they become a virtuoso and they can move so smoothly up and down the keyboard and almost becomes part of them. Lord, give us the ambition to handle the Word of God like that. To be able to counsel people from your scriptures out of that treasure chest of scripture memory and meditation. Father, help us to be able to handle the cares and temptations of life. Build our immunity, Father, to temptation and sin through bathing and meditating upon God's Word. And Father, help us to love each other enough to invest in each other's life, to carefully consider, as the writer of Hebrews said today, how to stimulate and encourage one another. And Lord, I know I'm encouraged when I see my friends in church, when I see them putting aside other things that they could be doing because of their commitment to you and your word and your people. And Father, that's just one thing. Help us to um, really pray and think about our duty to grow. And Father, we pledge that if we do grow and when we do grow, we're gonna give you all the honor and the glory and praise because you did it. We thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.